Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com slash Serlin. Hello and welcome to Serlin on Game Design, episode 18, Fantasy Strike. And with me today is Leontes and Mr. G Phantom. Hello, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. hello. Hey, we are talking about the most exciting project we've worked on because it is the biggest and most expensive project, more than all of our other ones put together. And it is on Patreon right now. That's where we're crowdfunding. So we hope that everyone supports us at patreon.com slash Serlin. Our crowdfunding is live right now. And we're going to talk more about why Patreon and how does that work later in the podcast. But I think we should start by just talking about what is Fantasy Strike? Why is it exciting? Why is it built the way it is? So let's get into that. It started as an experiment to make kind of a new kind of fighting game, like a simpler, more accessible fighting game than anything else we'd ever seen. And we started with a prototype and we were not really sure if it would be fun or not, but it turns out that right away it was. And so ever since then, we've been building on it and building on it. It's been quite a long time, like year, year and a half, I think, year and a half by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it feels yeah. that way, yeah. Yeah, so we've just been polishing it and making it better and better. There's been some evolution in exactly how it works, but the core idea is still there. And so it turns out that at least so far, we feel our experiment worked and that making a fighting game that is kind of for everyone, that people even who don't usually play fighting games would be able to play, it can work and it can still have the essence, like the interesting parts of fighting games, of spacing and mind games and matchups and tricks and techniques. And Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Yomi was the same experiment, right? Yeah, like Yomi yeah. was kind of the same experiment, the card game. It's like, let's do the same thing. Let's let's make a fighting game, but let's let's take execution completely out and see, is there still a game there? Is there still something interesting that people can latch onto? And if the Yomi community has proven it, you can have tournaments for this game and, and everything works. So it's like, finally, you're able to take the game off of a card game and make it a real fighting game. And that's what's so exciting about this. Right. Yeah. So it's a great comparison. The idea there is to take fighting games, which I know intimately. Uh, I was a tournament fighting game player for many years, and I worked on Street Fighter HD Remix. I know a ton about fighting games, and I wanted to take the interesting dynamics that occur and translate them into a form that everyone could play, even if you didn't have the dexterity to do it. So it was a card game. Now, this is another attempt. It's not a card game. We're not taking so much out. We're not taking as much out as we did in Yomi. So we're still in the same genre. But we've managed to remove a lot of things that you wouldn't think about. But it it just turns out that fighting games can still work without. And it leaves a a much easier to play, simpler game. It was astonishing how well it worked early on when it was first put together. Especially considering how hobbled it was (laughs) in the very first version I played. But I thought it was like fun immediately. I always felt like it was going to work. Yeah, the animations was janky and, you know, the graphics are iffy looking back then when we first started. But the gameplay, we started with gameplay first. We really spent all of our effort just on gameplay to make sure it was getting where we wanted to go. And then once it seemed like it was working, we sort of shifted gears and went like 50% on gameplay and 50% on polishing everything up. So I thought we would explain the mechanics of how it works. And then a little later, we can talk about the consequence of that. Like, given how it works, what does it feel like to play it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It's a, you know, it's a little drier at the beginning because we'll just, just talk about what are the mechanics? How does it work? 
I think saying what the buttons are, what the buttons do is like the simplest way to start. When I hear about a new game, especially in, when I'm doing <laughs> right. consulting or something, I always want to hear what the controls are just right away uh, rather than high level thinking, <laughs> you know, because it, it's just, <laughs> right. it gives me a really good idea what a game is, is truly yeah, about. Yeah. All right. How it works is this. And most fighting games, you've got the D-pad or joystick to move your character. In ours, it's just the left and right. You actually do not even have to worry about down or up. There's no crouching interestingly. Then your right hand uses the buttons. There's jump, attack, special attack one, and special attack two. And then there's a super. Right now we have super as a separate button, or you can use it as two of the previous buttons. So I'm not sure exactly how that'll end up. Probably be a separate button. But what's interesting there is that there's a jump button at all. That's not how a lot of fighting games work. And yet it's somehow just felt natural right from the beginning. What's really nice, I think, is that your left hand is doing so little. It's just moving left, right. It's just easier to control, easier to think about, especially for new players just having to do left, right. And there's no quarter circles or dragon punch motions or any of that. But there's not even worrying about like pressing two buttons with your left hand at once, you know, like down and left to crouch or something like that. Right. And like I know special consideration was made for, you know, playing the game on a keyboard. Right. And it just feels a lot better to only have to deal with just, you know, A and D or left and right arrows or something just to make movement much simpler. And that's pretty big. I think it's super helpful because some people come from different genre of games, such as like platforming, for example. In those games, there's a jump button, right? (laughs) So it kind of feels more familiar. But my real worry as a fighting game player was whether or not jump button would work. I think I mentioned this even in a previous podcast, but I was... I was shocked how well jump button worked for me as a fighting game player. That was like one of my first things about the controls was, oh, I don't know about this jump button thing. That seems really weird for me, but it kind of just worked immediately. I agree. And I felt the same way you did in that I didn't Mm -hmm. expect it to actually be a good idea. And so what we did was test it with jump button or up. So like, you know, both work and can do whatever you want and just like play a lot and see what happens. And Mm -hmm. both you and I independently gravitated towards only ever using the jump button. In retrospect, I understand why that is. And I can explain that it's because of a different thing in the game. It's that we didn't want to have quarter circle motions or half circle or any kind of joystick motions at all. And so that's why the special moves are one button press. Okay, so like you press a button, you throw a fireball type thing. So given that, you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you've got a button or in our case, two buttons that do special moves and then you're in the air, no matter how you got there, maybe you held up, maybe you jumped. If you're in the air and you press those buttons and nothing happens, then that I think would feel bad. I think it would feel like those buttons are broken. Like, why aren't they doing anything? And so that's why in our game you have different special moves in the air. There's more emphasis on air special moves in our game than in most other fighting games. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly rare for characters in traditional 2D fighting games to actually have a whole lot of air special moves. Yes, it is rare. In Street Fighter, like quarter circle towards punch and you throw a fireball. And then when you jump, you don't say, well, how come when I quarter circle towards punch in the air, I don't get a fireball? Like maybe you do with Akuma, but you generally wouldn't even question that. But if it's just (laughs) a button. So to tie this back into what does this have to do with, with the jump button? We've explained why there are a bunch of special moves in the air, why they exist. And then given that they exist, there are things that you want to do a lot. Like with Jaina, for example, our ranged character, you want to jump and shoot fire arrow in the air a lot. That's like a thing you do constantly, like jump and mm-hmm. fire your arrow. 
And it's because of that. It's because you're constantly wanting to like jump into a move, jump into a move. It's not really a thing in a lot of fighting games like Street Fighter. Like they don't tend to work like that. Like Street Fighter, you're more likely to jump and then later kick once you get to the person. Like, yeah, you need to kick on the way up sometimes, obviously, but... Just a lot of the time you don't, whereas a lot of the time in this game, you are doing moves right away. And I think that right there is why the jump button just tended to work out, why I eventually only used it and and you and many of our other testers all went the same way. In my personal experience, for me, like I like the jump button depending on what controller I'm using. Like I, I play this game with many different controllers. If I'm playing it on keyboard, I like a jump button. If I'm playing on an arcade stick, I kind of like to just have the up to for this on the stick. Right. Which And like luckily for all players, like in the options, there's a way to yeah, toggle that. You can do it. To it's where fine. you can Either tap way. up to jump or have a jump button. Yeah. So if, if you're not a person who likes jump buttons, I mean, jump buttons are in Dive Kick. They're in Smash Brothers. They're in, you know, Super Mario Brothers even like we said like regular platform games are very used to having jump buttons i think people should really give it a try because i did not think it would be a good idea it was an experiment and it turns out that even i like it a lot and that's the default control now yeah i was i was the same way so okay there's a jump button there's a normal attack button so on the ground you've got three different normal attacks you can hold away or neutral or toward there's two special moves all that stuff is doable in the air as well so you've got you know different special moves different normal move in the air there's a super also and it means every character has two super moves because they've got one on the ground and another one in the air. It's just a simple button press like space bar on a keyboard. And that's it for the buttons, right? That's what all the controls do. <laughs> so <laughs> this is good. Well, you mm-hmm. forgot the most important oh, button. Uh, yeah, the do nothing button. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, exactly right. Okay, let, let's talk about doing nothing and what you know, what's this joke about? So this started over a decade ago for sure when I wanted to try this experiment of what we could do with throws in fighting games. What went on over the history of fighting games is they throws where you that's the move you do to grab an opponent when they are blocking. They were generally very powerful in early fighting games like Street Fighter 2, like really, really strong. To the point that it was common to be in situations where you thought you were going to be thrown and you just couldn't get out of it because they were so strong. And over time, they got weaker and weaker. And mm-hmm. it's because players complain. They call it cheap. Throws are so cheap. And developers listened and toned them down more and more and more. And so the throws got startup time and they got reduced damage and reduced range. And then you could tech out of them like to take reduced damage or no damage. And they just got pathetically weak. I thought they had reached a all-time low in Street Fighter <laughs> 4 where they have every possible disadvantage. It was only Blaz Blue that managed to make even weaker throws. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like that whole approach of listen to the player's complaint and then solve it by making throws weaker and weaker, I just thought was the wrong way to go. See, throws are there for a reason. They're not just random. It's like they're part of the game system. They're what you do against someone who blocks. And if you make them weaker, you're making it harder to beat people who are blocking. And you solve the wrong problem too, because people who are sitting there doing nothing and then they get thrown, that's fine. It's all these like weird situations where you tried to soften or reverse and you couldn't. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. So our idea is this. You can always get out of throws if you know they're coming. And the command is you just let go of all your controls. If you don't touch anything, if you're in neutral state, you cannot be thrown. If the opponent attempts to throw you, then you will automatically reverse and throw them with something called a Yomi counter. 
just special to our game. So this was a, an idea, an experiment that I've wanted to do for over 10 years. Didn't really know if it was going to work. And it's been in our game ever since day one. So a year and a half now. And it just, it worked right away. It never really had any problem. <laughs> it's actually extremely fun. It's it's kind of like the yeah. most yeah the most hype thing in the game. It's it's the hypest thing and yeah it, it is it is it because is. it's such a call out right like it's such a read yeah. to go like I'm gonna let go yeah. of everything and be totally vulnerable to any combo you would do because I know that you're gonna throw. It is the most fun thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it totally is. It, to some extent, I have made the Yomi counter a very big part of my personal game. Yeah, Mr. G Phantom is quite good at it, too. <laughs> He's quite good at doing nothing at just the perfect time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 so satisfying <laughs> you're saying because because it's like a, such a sick read basically. Yeah, and mm -hmm. you know it's a read, and also there are times when you can even do like a really strong pressure chain on your opponent, and then you're the you're the person who's attacking. You're in the driver's seat, and then you stop, and then they try to throw you back, and you throw them back on the ground, and just like yeah, I have complete control. Of this yeah, situation. Mr. G like really has my number on that because like what he's doing is using oh, yeah. my twenty years of reflexes against me, like. There's so many times in a fighting game where like we just end up right next to each other. And of course I throw like it's like an instinct. You have to throw right then because that's like the only thing that's going to work. But then he put us in that situation specifically so he could do nothing. You know, it's not like accident. We ended up like that. Like he created yes. a situation. Then I can't stop myself. And then I get Yomi countered. And I, then I always yell and get mad. I'll, you know, like, ah, I can't yeah. believe you, you got me. And then like two seconds later or something, <laughs> he does it again. Like, so it, which is interesting because it's like, it's showing that I can't stop myself, you know? Like, even when I know he's doing it, it's it takes quite yeah. a bit of effort to try to rewire my instincts. <laughs> <laughs> No, totally. Like it's like a, a fighting game thing is like to have the focus to see a situation and be like, I know what my instinct is, you know, to instantly reversal when I wake up or something to have some fighting game yeah. in there. And my opponent knows that, but I have to reflexively not do that or else I'm going to die. <laughs> and that's what makes Yomi counter so amazing is because if you read that your opponent is going to Yomi counter you then you can just full combo them right in their face and then they feel they feel <laughs> right. like they got red. And so it goes both ways. But we, we actually didn't really talk about the reward you get for Yomi countering, right. which is... You throw them instead and you get full super meter. Right. As well. You also get full super meter. So it's even more insult to injury. It's like it's the biggest <laughs> reward is that you feel super smart <laughs> and you make your yeah, opponent yeah, feel okay. really dumb. <laughs> and you get a really cool animation too, because each character has like a custom Yomi counter that's for just for them. So. Yeah, it's probably worked out, I'd say, the best of any of these experiments. Because uh, like in the course of a normal match, a Yomi counter happening is the most exciting thing. It's way more exciting than a super. Because I mean you you really accomplish something by letting go of the controls and not getting hit yourself. <laughs> It's so brave. <laughs> it's so brave. It's great. It's the bravest possible thing. So the best thing ever is when two players, like the situation you guys just mentioned about, you know, you guys both jump in empty on each other and you land next to each other and nobody does anything for a full two seconds. That's like the best like stalemate I've ever That's seen. That's a little in a too long. It's two so seconds is like 2,000 years in fighting game terms. I would say two moments. <laughs> That's it's an, yeah, it's an eternity. But it certainly feels like two seconds, right, when you're playing. Yeah, especially against... I'm telling you, he's so good yeah, at this. You're playing like, chicken. You're playing throw chicken, and it's great. He'll create the situation, and then I, I know because you know he's just done it. Like I, I know it's a setup, so then I don't throw him. Right? <laughs> just hit him. Just, just, just hit him in the face. So I've done the right thing, and then after waiting just a little bit, then I throw him. You see, because I've outsmarted him. But then he, <laughs> he just keeps waiting. Yes. Like 
And I go, I can't believe you waited that long. Like it's the, no one would wait that long. Uh, for people listening, though, they should know it's not two seconds or five seconds. Like it's all over very quickly. It's just in fighting game terms that he's waited even a few frames is like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's an yeah. eternity. How are you not blocking? I'm right next to you, you crazy person. What are you doing? Yeah, so it doesn't slow down the match or anything like that. But it, it is the hypest part of the game is the fact that the best button is the do nothing button. It's great. All right, I guess we should talk about other parts of the system. So the life, the way life works, you know, it works the same in basically every fighting game. You've got a life bar, you get hit, it goes down. But what is unusual about what we're doing is that it's in such small, discrete chunks. Like Grave's kind of default character has only six hit points. Only six chunks of light, not 6,000 or something, just six. <laughs> and so each one <laughs> is this big visible mm -hmm. thing. And like you hit someone and you do one damage and you like you do a combo of two or three hits and that's two or three damage. It's very straightforward. So part of why we're doing this is just that it's so simple. It's so understandable that you just immediately know how much damage everything does, how close you are to dying. Now, there's a lot of obfuscation that usually goes on in life bars in fighting games. And we thought, well, what if we just did the simplest possible thing? It also makes rounds really quick because we have yeah. so few hit points. You have ridiculously few hit points. <laughs> the rounds are over, you know, in a flash. It's very fast. See, I like to think of it as you just have ridiculously high damage combos. Yeah. <laughs> for very little like execution. It's like, oh, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to get a hit into a hit into a fireball. And there's half your life bar. And without having to do a lot of gymnastics on a controller... I can feel like I outsmarted you, which is the thing we're trying to get at is the mind game aspect of you threw a fireball. So I jumped over it and then I get to do half of your life to you in one easy to do combo. And that's something that everyone similar can to do. Super Turbo Street Fighter, like Ryu with it like jump, is, fierce, yeah. fierce fireball. That's 50 percent of your life. And then in our game, uh, like a standard jump in three hit is yeah. also 50 percent of your life. So it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't like to think of the numbers being small. It's more that they're really big, you know, because <laughs> that's a big Ryu combo. Too. Yeah, exactly. And it's something we've talked about in other podcasts is what fighting game has too high damage? And the answer is we can't think of any <laughs> right. ever. But what fighting game has too little damage? What about that? Too little damage. Well, we can think of a lot of those. Like games that have too little damage, it just goes on forever. <laughs> and like, why is this round taking so long? And also because hits do so little in such a game, you can get way behind. You can get like just hopelessly behind. And it just feels like this horrible long slog to ever try to catch up. It's generally bad to have a lot of hit points mm -hmm. in a fighting mm -hmm. game. Like Capcom versus SNK1 is notorious for having some of the highest number of hit points, meaning like highest number of hits to actually win. When you go the opposite way, like Super Turbo Street Fighter, games that have high damage, it tends to be hype and exciting. And you're always in it. And like everything does a lot. Even if you get perfected, like you kind of almost won. You know, you were just like a couple combos away. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So that's yeah. what we went for. And I, all games are close. <laughs> I, I think it's just a, a good principle in, in fighting games. Yeah. And then it ties into what we just talked about, about throws and how to make throws strong. It's like, well, in this game, throws do like one or two damage. So that's the same principle of they're just as good as landing normal attacks. And then they, they remain relevant throughout the course of the game instead of just being this thing that doesn't do a lot and just doesn't feel strong. But throws and Yomi counters feel very strong. For characters that have six hit points this is the normal amount like a throw does a sixth of your life or a grappler has a stronger throw does two sixths of your life yeah you know <laughs> the, the really nice thing about the you know low hit points or high damage kind of gameplay is that and i think i think it was short object who said this but it was the whole point of like it's harder to make kind of errors in punishing in those types of games and in fantasy strikes so 
say if someone does an uppercut and you don't do the best punish, it's not like the worst thing in the world in Fantasy Strike, but like it's kind of the worst thing to do in other fighting games which have low damage Absolutely. and high HP. You know, it's like yeah. It's really punishing if you don't do the best punish. I know exactly what you're talking about. Let's talk about Guilty Gear, which is a terrific game. So people out there understand mm -hmm. our point of view, or my point of view at least, is Guilty Gear is nothing like our game. It's like on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's very complicated, but it's great. I like Guilty Gear. Right, yeah. I, if you want a complicated fighting game, you should play Guilty Gear, I think. I think it's fantastic. We're not oh, yeah. trying to say there's only there should only be one type of fighting game and this is it. Like anyone that makes anything else is stupid or something. You know, there's there's different types of things. Mm -hmm. But anyway, about this thing that Sharp Object mentioned. So let's say that someone whiffs a move in Guilty Gear, like they mess up and then it's your chance to hit them. You've got to do a combo. You've got to know what you're doing. And in order to know what you're doing, you need to spend weeks, months in training mode to you know learn like a wide variety of combos difficult combos what do you do in this situation in that situation and what he was saying is that in fantasy strike it was actually the limited move set that was his main point he's like okay you whiff a move well what do i do to punish it well there's not many moves so i could try like you know two or three moves <laughs> and <laughs> right <laughs> if one of them if one of them works then Good. They're like, okay, yeah, I can probably combo into another move. Yeah, you're not wrong. By, by simply pressing the button. Like, you know, maybe you can do normal into special. Most characters could do normal into special, and that's their punish. There's a few exceptions of people that might want to do something else, but whatever. It takes two seconds to you know, figure that out. He's like, there's so few things that you could even possibly do, and then you know it's going to do two damage or whatever. It was the right amount. You did the right amount. You didn't spend weeks in training mode to take it from a 21% combo to a 24% combo or whatever. It's just nice exactly. to not have to deal right, with that, right. you know, exactly. and then to still have all the strategic considerations that went into doing the move in the first place, to baiting them, to being the right distance. But then when it comes time to punish that part, you don't have to worry about. So yeah, that, that was a good comment. The idea of easy execution games, it puts everyone in that situation where they can always do maximum damage. Like everyone is like Tokido or Daigo or something when they're, those are Street Fighter players. Like everyone is at that point where execution is no longer a factor in victory. And that's that's kind of like the overarching theme of a lot of Serlin Games products in general. Like Inuyomi was the first thing that, I, that comes to my mind. But Fantasy Strike especially being just... Yeah, I, I have the execution I need to win. That's not the thing that's in my way. It's whether I can outsmart my opponent or not. And they messed up and did a thing, so I'm going to punish them to the fullest without having to spend, like you said, six months mastering my combos. Yeah, and we probably have a little bit of curse of knowledge here in talking about this. Like, we know fighting games well, and we may have forgotten what it's like to not know fighting sure, games. Sure. So to address that, just take a step back. Like you're talking about the concerns of an intermediate player, but if you go to a trade show or something and you try to show a fighting game like Street Fighter or whatever, it's just, it's usually just a disaster to watch people play. Like <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. there, there's people who are basically pros. Yeah, totally. And they know what they're doing, but people who are not pros, people who are like, oh, I think I'll just try this game. Like they can't even throw a fireball. Like if somehow they can do that, there's no way they're going to be able to do like a sweep cancel into a fireball or, or you know, a kick or cancel into a fireball. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. requires like a lot of practice to be able to do that properly. And yet it's the ground floor. It's like you're not really playing if you're not doing that. Yeah, totally. So when I say we need to take a step back, it's like the first thing you're doing is taking people who don't have the basic dexterity, but might have been good at the game, you know, if they just stuck with it and, and it may, might make the right decisions and letting them play the game at all. Like 
getting them just, you know what I'm saying? Just even in the ballpark of playing. And then your point is the next one. It's like once they are in the ballpark of playing and that, you know, they're doing their distancing and spacing and baiting and all that they can cash in their damage in a simple way. Yeah, they can do everything right from that point on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, different ends of the spectrum we're, we're addressing here. And it's just all about decisions. Uh, I mean, I know execution is a huge part of, of fighting games, but think about like when everyone's excited at a big thing in a tournament, what they're not excited about is like, oh, Daigo threw a lot of fireballs. Like, wow, did you notice, you know, he threw like 50 fireballs. He didn't miss any of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's just not interesting. And, and so when you imagine the person on the convention floor that tries the game and can't throw a projectile you know who's that serving exactly because it, yeah it's not fun for them like, <laughs> right it's not like once someone can that we were impressed we're not no one's impressed by that so it's taking something that <laughs> no one's ever going to be impressed with and just you know just give it to you just why not just have that be a button it's simpler and the things that people are impressed with all the clever decisions and setups and reads and stuff like that you know that's what we're putting all our emphasis on yeah definitely absolutely we have more uh, to talk about how the system works so we mentioned the life is in chunks like six chunks and that brings us to our next point about block damage so how do you do that like what if you block a projectile do you lose a sixth of your life that seems excessive that would be the most block <laughs> damage yeah. in any game in the world so that is not how it works when you block a special move or super move then your last chunk of life will start flashing and if you don't block any more special moves or super moves for a few seconds then it'll just go back to normal but if you block another one in that time then it will flash even faster and then if you block yet another one you lose that chunk of life so you've got a little leeway like if you block a special move you're kind of in trouble you don't want to keep doing that you can get out of it but if you keep doing it you you really will get pressure and lose life seems to work really well like put it in and never changed it and all this time yeah yeah, it's just a good balance. It just happened to yeah, work out. It goes along with it with the chunks. You know, you see exactly how much you're going to lose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wanted to move on to the super meter because that also works differently than other games. In our earlier prototype versions, the super meter was like in normal fighting games where you hit people with attacks and you fill it up. OK, at first it was just that. And then we, we realized, oh, actually, you need to get it when you block. Not as much, though. You need to get a little bit when you block. So we added that and we were tuning it. And then as we were tuning it, we started to realize like, well, what is the point? Why do we even have this? (laughs) You know? And we realized the point of it was that we wanted to give you moves that you can't do all the time. And in our game specifically, we actually, they're they're reversal attacks. They're often their attacks that are invulnerable as you are getting up or something. Because we have one button special moves, we have to be very careful about how we use reversals. The reason is that in games like Street Fighter, when you do a dragon punch motion, when you input that on the joystick, it takes a little bit of time and that's kind of good. You've got to like plan ahead a few frames there. In our game, it's all single buttons, so you, you can react a little easier easier to things and that makes dragon punches dangerous you got to be careful about them and so that's why we've put them on meters on super meters for the most case so the point is that we wanted the super meter to limit you so you can't do those reversal moves all the time you can do them sometimes but we had to make sure that if you're just getting rushed down constantly that you would be able to eventually do it you know that's why if you block a move you get some and and then the next logical conclusion was like well why even have all these little steps of if you block you get a little if you attack you get a little we're just saying a cooldown. We're doing this elaborate thing to simulate a cooldown. Why not just have a cooldown? 
So we tried that forever ago and it's stuck ever since. So our, our super meter simply fills automatically over the course of like, it's different per character, but like nine or 10 or 11 or 12 seconds. Yeah. Some characters have stronger supers than others. So they have longer cooldowns. And I think there's exactly one character currently that can actually build meter, which is Midori with his parry move. But aside from that, it's pretty much just a cooldown. Right. So the only way to affect that meter, the main way is you just wait and it fills up automatically. If you throw someone or do a cinematic, it actually pauses the meter game. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It just feels a little weird to like, if you have a throw that's like a little bit more elaborate, that it would give them more meter, you know, because more time passed. So it, it doesn't do that. So yeah. like if you throw them and your throw takes, you know, a few frames longer or something like they don't get any super meter when they're getting thrown. So that, that affects it. The other thing is if you Yomi counter, then you get full super meter. We mentioned that. And that's pretty much it, right? Except for the you know, Midori has a way to build super. So this is very simple. It's just a cooldown meter. It's every, you know, X seconds you can do your super and you've got to choose between ground and air because it's the same meter for both of those moves. Same uh, currency. Yeah. The things we've talked about so far are all simplifications, you know, life bar down to six hit points. Super meter doesn't even bother checking individual moves. It's just a cooldown. Left, right, instead of needing up, down as well. We've simplified the command to escape throws by just removing everything from it. <laughs> just let go of your controller. <laughs> and throwing is just Yeah, throwing is normal. like Street Fighter 2. Or Guilty Gear. Yeah, forward and attack. Or away, yeah. It's, a, it's tried and true. Yeah, and then easy special moves. Oh, right. One button of course, we've simplified special moves into one button. That's like, I'm so close to that, I can't see it anymore. Like, I forgot that <laughs> you, you, you might right, have to yeah, do yeah. choice. Yeah, why totally. would you do joystick? Of course, I should push a button and a cool thing should happen. Oh, I thought of another thing that is quite important. It's technical, so people you know don't know fighting games might have to listen a little more carefully. But it's very important. It's the input buffer. I don't know of any fighting game that is doing it as extreme as we're doing. So the issue is, let's say you do a punch and then you want to do another punch right when it ends. So your punch, it's out, it's retracting, it's retracting. It hasn't retracted all the way yet. And you press the button for the next punch. Press it a little too early though, because your first punch is not quite retracted. So normally what will happen in a fighting game is nothing. You are still retracting your punch, so if you press punch again, the input is just ignored. And what you actually have to do is wait until your punch completely retracts, and then at the earliest possible moment, press it a second time. Fighting games are measured in frames, which is 1 60th of a second. So to get the second punch as quickly as possible, you would have to press the button within 1 60th of a second. If you were a little late, like two or three or four sixtieths of a second, now you left a gap and it's very possible that you won't be able to combo. Maybe punch punch will combo if you do it with perfect one sixtieth of a second timing, but it won't combo if you are too slow, if you wait four sixtieths or something. That's what's called a one frame link. Whenever you need to do one move and then a second move immediately after one frame link. So one frame lengths are common in fighting games. So Super Turbo Street Fighter has a lot of one frame lengths, but they're not that relevant in that particular game. It's entirely possible to win tournaments without doing them. I placed top eight at Evolution three times in that game, and I never bothered with one frame lengths. I mean, maybe here and there, you know, Bison needs one. But there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of techniques. You generally do a lot of damage. It's not that important in that game, even though it exists. In other games, it matters a lot. Like in Street Fighter 4, probably matters more than any other game. <laughs> we know of. And as time goes on, like I think developers are starting to see that we want less of this. Like Street Fighter V, they did away with all of them. And I think the tightest possible frame you need is like three frame. But we're saying even that's too much. 
Like, let's just not even bother with having to deal with it at all. Let me say one more thing about the Street Fighter 4 situation. When that game came out on day one, I said there's too many one frame lengths. Like, this is bad. Like, this shouldn't be. Like, there's too much emphasis on this. And a lot of people didn't like what I said. You know, I'm a hater or something. I'm not sure what the counter argument is, like, about why that would be good. Anyway, what's interesting, and I feel like... (laughs) I ultimately won this or something is later in the game's life, people discovered this bug called plinking, P-linking, priority linking. It's a bug that lets you exploit a kind of crazy thing about the priorities between light, medium, and heavy attacks that allows you to get an extra frame in any of these link situations. So if there was a one-frame link and you use the plink technique, it becomes a two-frame link. Or if it was already a two-frame link and you use the technique, it becomes a three-frame link. And people loved it. Oh, it's so great that we don't have to have these one-frame links anymore, you know? (laughs) It's just so fantastic that we can use this plinking technique and i'm so glad it's there characters i couldn't play before because they had so many one frames i couldn't play them like sakura like i can play her now because i have this tool yeah i mean (laughs) i personally think that's just such a ridiculous opinion to have it's so funny if you liked it then why didn't you want the original thing i said which is just have another frame of hits done or something so that you don't need like a secret convoluted annoying to do technique everybody would have another frame or something All right, so that's where some games are. And now a way to combat the situation or fix it is to add an input buffer on everything. Usually there is an input buffer on certain types of things, but not the type of thing we're talking about here. There's no cancel involved. You know, a lot of times if you do one move, you cancel into another. That's where input buffers come in. But we talked about a case where you just do a move, let it finish and do another. And that's the type of thing that's usually very difficult. So a way to fix that is an input buffer that will look ahead a few frames. You know, I I gave the example of like, I've almost retracted my first punch and I press the button. Well, you could have a buffer scanning and basically taking your input that doesn't do anything right there and repeating it on the next frame. So then you would have two frames leeway or in Street Fighter five, it's apparently three frames of leeway. Does it repeat your input? Do you know that's how it works? Not entirely certain. I'm not entirely certain how it works either. I, you know, one way or another, it's giving you these extra frames of leeway. I'm pretty sure it's by repeating your input. What we Mm. are doing, we are storing your input for eight frames, which is completely unheard of and crazy. I I don't know anything like it. Three is like radical. Uh, Street Fighter V is doing that. We're doing it for eight frames, eight sixtieths of a second. So that means anytime you want to do something, but you haven't reached the point in your animation where it's possible, you can do it up to eight frames early and it will still work. So if you're knocked down and you stand up and you want to do a super the moment you stand up, because maybe it's invulnerable, you wouldn't want to do it a little bit after you stand up because then you'll just get hit before the super comes out. You've got eight sixtieths of a second. And if you aren't familiar with that kind of timing, it's just enormous. It just means it's easy to... I mean, it's (laughs) it's ridiculously long. And to really get how long that is, imagine you were knocked down in the fighting game and you want to stand up and do a super. You could just like leisurely press the button over and over because you'd be resetting the eight frames every time you did it. You could just press it until you get up and it'll be perfect every single time. Yeah, so it's trivial to do moves when you want to do them. So I know that was a long way to go. There's a lot of you mm-hmm. know technical jargon there, but it is important because the bottom line, what it boils down to is you can do your moves. If you want to do a move, it's going to come <laughs> out. Yeah. 
A casual player is not going to notice, but the point is that they don't notice. That's what we want, is that they don't realize that there's this really great thing there that's helping them get their moves out, where if you play another fighting game, they would immediately realize, hey, I pressed a button, why did nothing yeah, happen? Yeah, this is something that we mentioned in another podcast. It was about easy special moves. And the idea there was that making special moves one button, that makes a game easier to play. But if that's all you do, it's just sort of disappointing. It's like, why did you make the special moves easier? Wasn't there a reason? Like, wasn't the reason that you wanted to capture the intention of the player. If the player wanted to do something, you wanted to let them do it. That's why you made the special moves easy. And so that's why it's disappointing to only make special moves easy and not do all the other work. Our game, Fantasy Strike, is really built from the ground up. Every possible detail and angle everywhere is that mindset. It's all built around if you think it, we want you to be able to do it. So easy special moves is one way. And then this Mm -hmm. input buffer is a very big part of the overall picture to let you do your moves. Yeah, it's just it feels good. The game feels good to play. Yeah. I think we've covered the system of how it works. You know, there's different special moves for characters that have exceptions and so on. But as far as the general system, it's pretty much it. Support for this podcast comes from patrons like you at patreon.com slash Serlin. You can become a patron and support the development of more finely tuned Serlum games, as well as more content on this podcast. And if you do, you get access to a sneak peek at art that's in development and playtest materials for upcoming games. You also get access to a special second podcast where you can hear behind the scenes of how we actually solve design problems. That's patreon.com slash So I wanted to go to the next level here. Like in in design, you can think about mechanics. That's what we've just talked about, the mechanics of how a thing works. And the next level above that is dynamics, which is how it really flows. Like what results from that? It's maybe just a little dry if we just tell you, you know, here's how it works. So the thing that I think has been a little surprising to each of us in a good way about the dynamics, about like actually play the game, get our hands on it, is we kind of forget that it's a simple fighting game. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets intense and we're talking about all these character matchups and who beats who and like what's the technique to beat Rook and so on. It gets real like fast. (laughs) <laughs> Very fast. I have anecdotes. <laughs> I'm a really big fan of Valerie in this game. I've always been a fan of like Fei Long. She's not like exactly like Fei Long, but she does a thing that Fei Long does, which is like a series of rushing attacks. And for Fei Long in uh, Street Fighter, it was always do a quarter circle forward on the stick with a punch, but then immediately do another one and then right. do another one to get all three of them to come out. And then if they got blocked, if they were the wrong spacing, like all that stuff mattered. There's so much technical stuff that goes into doing these rekkas as they're called for Fei Long. And to do them right, so you don't get punished for doing them. Do I do just one? Do I do all three? Do I do two? You know, like there's so much in just Rekka. It's like one aspect of Fei Long that was just beyond me, even though I really liked the character concept. But playing Valerie in Fantasy Strike, that whole aspect of having to spend years mastering the timing on doing this motion is completely gone for her. Her chain is the same button over and over again. Just like Fei Long, there is the concept of like, do you do the longer version or the shorter version? Like, and do you space it correctly? And should you do two? Yeah, should, I do or the should, should, fierce one, then light one, then light one. Yeah, or, should you stop yeah. at two maybe, you know? So all the, all the mind stuff is there. The decision making is there, but not the physical execution of me trying to accomplish that on top of everything else. So I get to finally do the, the wreck of mind games <laughs> I've, I've longed for in Street Fighter forever. Leonatus finally gets to play Fei Long. <laughs> It's his dream. I do, yeah. 
Yeah. And I've had people talk to me about like, well, I've always wanted to play Zangief, but you know, those circle motions to do, you know, the spinning pile driver command throw is just too much. But Rook is just one button. Like I can finally play a grappler now. And I think that's what a lot of people are going to experience with this game is the idea that there might have been this character archetype that you it was completely inaccessible to you because of execution reasons. Like I was always bad at execution. So I played charge characters like Guile and Honda, where I would just rely on reactions and responding to things my opponents are doing. But now I get to play this really proactive rushdown character, which is a thing I've never been able to do in any fighting game. And if I ever tried, it was always, I could never play the character the way they were supposed to be played. I could never do interesting mix-ups and I could never really get to the nitty gritty of how they work and why they're Several fun. of our patrons said the same thing, that they were used to picking characters that they're kind of forced to pick, you know, like because that's the only type of character they're able to play. And that in Fantasy Strike, they didn't know what to do because they're like, I could play all the characters. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, normally they can't do the 360 motions for the grappler person or something, but with Rook, they can't. Rook has been the most beginner popular character, I think. Everyone loves being able to be a grappler and finally, like, do all the moves easily. <laughs> right. Yeah. And being able to unlock that gameplay that was just literally a barrier. Yeah. I think the most important thing for me when I play this game, and I've been playing a lot of different fighting games for a very long time, and it feels like a real fighting game. While the game is simple controls, all the other aspects are in there and all the kind of like gameplay tropes are in there too. And I think it's important. So Rook you know, he's a grappler and yeah, he has one button throws, but guess what? He still has problems against guys with projectiles and it's still real <laughs> gameplay. Oh, right. People are worried about that HG remix, right? Like, oh, Zangief with a simpler throw command and suddenly anybody's going to be able to play him. It's like, no, like right. people like Cooney and Pony and Snake Eyes, they were not missing their pile drives. That was not a concern. Mm -hmm. No, the, the challenge for them was to get in at all. And so now exactly you have that same challenge as ever. It's just that when you do, just like CUNY or whoever, you will be able to buy drive. <laughs> I've played you the most, Serlin. And mm -hmm. I feel like when we play, it feels no different from when we used to play HDR. And it feels just as competitive and like compelling. And, you know, we've had matches that ended differently. We've had different techniques prevail. We've been able to experiment and learn new things as the games go by. I think that's really great. Yeah. So the thing that I've noticed about, you know, on the subject of it feeling like a real fighting game is like is kind of having to give the same advice from real intense fighting game matches to, <laughs> right, yeah. to players in this game too. Mm -hmm. We should talk about this example with Leontes about Valerie versus Rook. That's a good example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Rook wants to throw you. He's like Zangief. He wants to get close to you and throw you. And Valerie wants to rush you down, sort of like Fei Long. That's troubling, you know, because that means she wants to get right next to him where he's going to throw you. So like her main plan sounds bad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. So maybe what you should do is mm -hmm. not get close to Rook. If you poke him, if you stay away, do long range moves, try not to get hit by his throws. That's like level one of adapting. Mm -hmm. And Leontis's point is that when you do that, you seem to lose. So it feels like Rook is really powerful in that match. Is that a fair summary of? Yeah, that's that's like layer one of the exploration of the matchup. Yes. So you made that claim and then I disagreed and I said that it was even. I still think it's even. I've played it a lot. <laughs> you, know, who, you know, who knows? We'll, yeah. 
we'll know more later, but <laughs> I think it's even. And the, and the reason that we have a different opinion is that I felt that if you stay away, that you're avoiding the throws. Yeah. But you're just fighting a losing battle. It's like, you just don't have enough upside. Like, yeah, you're giving up a lot of your tools and yeah, for reference, mm-hmm. she has five HP and he has, right. Eight. She has the least and he has the most. So you're just fighting this big uphill battle where you're trying to just grind it out. And it's hard. <laughs> In my opinion, you have a better shot if you really do rush down, but just carefully get it going, get the blender going. And, and you can, like, if you do it right, you have a lot of upside. Yeah. Like you do right. against every other character. You can't do it exactly the same because he really can throw you out of stuff that other people can't. But if you shift it up just a little bit and not be vulnerable at quite the same times, you can have explosive upside. So what's going to happen is that some percentage of the time when you just really go for it, you're going to just suddenly do like four damage, which is huge. And then some percentage of the time he'll throw you for two damage. And in the long run, I think you can pull off more plus than minus. And so that style of play is just ultimately a higher plateau than the poking. But let's listen to this discussion. This is like, this is an intense fighting game. Where this, this, is, is real. <laughs> this is real. This is not right, a yeah. kitty stupid thing. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> this is me having a matchup issue where I couldn't overcome a certain character and I, you know, listened to my mentor, you know, got some coaching, <laughs> yeah. went back in there and I, I learned new techniques and, you know, stuck to a different game plan and I had way more success. It's because I was able to actually execute it. After I was told what I should try to do, I was able to make intelligent decisions from there and it wasn't like, well, I just can't rush him down because my fingers don't work. So it was it was nice to have access to the play style that I was being told to play. Yeah. And someone could easily totally disagree as well. Like someone could just say, I think you really should stay away. And there's an argument. And that's very common in real fighting games of different strategy opinions and how you should approach things. And then you could test them in the game and see which one prevails and which one doesn't. So it's super duper interesting, even though the game has one button throws and yeah. this huge buffer window and everything that is like makes the execution much easier, you know, and everybody would be afraid that this game would have no depth to it or wouldn't yeah. feel like a real fighting game. But as it turns out, it just works. And like right after this podcast, we're going to look on the forum. Someone's going to say, help, Rookmane, it can't beat Valerie. What do I do? And <laughs> right. it's going to just be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really hype and we've had a, a hype tournament at Fantasy Strike Expo. You know, that was very exciting. People should come to a next Fantasy Strike Expo in June and we'll have another tournament there. That tournament was awesome. <laughs> It was. <laughs> that turn was awesome because there were like surprise performances and like, here's the thing. The guy who was supposed to won, won. Okay. But it was still very dramatic. <laughs> That's true. Even even in the lower (laughs) ranks, there was a lot of exciting things that went on at that tournament. Like, Mm -hmm. well, like people who had played the game for the first time that day were competing and doing well and having real fighting game matches. We put the tournament at the end of the event on purpose so that people would have a few days to practice. And it really made a huge difference. If it was Guilty Gear or something, you know, it's hard to advance yeah, a, a lot, right? But <laughs> but because they don't have to worry about combos being difficult or how to do dragon punches or something like people improved quite a bit in the two or three days. Like, I, I remember a lot of tests about Valerie versus Rook and there was another whole set of things going on with Setsuki versus Rook. Like can Setsuki just like really hard pressure him? Just like rush, 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 rush and he can't do anything. Like the way she can do it could actually avoid his throw. And so it, like it seemed hopeless or something and then somebody pointed out, well, 
well. You know, Rook is almost true. Rook can just air super and get out of that every time, like easily, and do a bunch of damage. The Satsuki side realized, ah, right, you will always lose to that, but you could do it a different way, and then you won't lose to it. But if you do it the different way, then it's not as solid anymore. Now you're getting thrown. And, yeah, <laughs> right. And Rook can actually just. Get out right, of there, that there way. Gaps. Yeah. So now you got to mix it up. Like, should you do it? Maybe sometimes do it way one, sometimes do it way two. So that whole thing was developed. And I saw, you know, that go on in a tournament match as well. So yeah, it was exciting yeah, it's that just, at this, all this levels. This high level discussion after like two seconds of gameplay. Like, it's, it's great. It's so great. Like, just novices are able to actually talk about how to improve matchups. And it's not just, well, I'm just bad at this game. It's like no one was bad at the game at all. It was just <laughs> they needed to learn a little bit more about how to, how to like fight and how to like do the match. Mm-hmm. And, and learn about their strengths and weaknesses in those particular situations. And once they were told what to do, they could execute and then they could have fun adapting. Another opponent has to figure out a new thing to do to counter that. It was so organic and so amazing to watch all these like people who don't even play fighting games. Like FSX Fantasy Strike Expo is mostly for fans of like Puzzle Strike and Yomi and Codex. So a lot of games that don't have execution at all, but these guys are picking up controllers and having a fantastic time with the game. You know, it's really important to note that the more experienced fighting game players did progress better than other people but I think everyone had fun. It, no one was like, oh, I lost because I had zero idea what I was doing and it was super unfun. It was just everybody had fun playing the game, even if they lost, because it always felt like they had a fighting chance. Yeah, the, yeah. the fighting game experts do the best because there's transferable skills. Even if doing mm-hmm. the hard combos is not rewarded that much, there's a bunch of other things they know how to do that are rewarded. So they tend to do better. But the surprise is the people who, who don't have the fighting game background, but are like a challenge. You know, they're like, wow, I didn't realize this guy'd be so tough. <laughs> and we, yeah. we saw. Yeah, yeah they totally. don't, they're not free. They are not free at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> saw a bunch of that. It was great. It was really, really good. So since this game is so exciting, why don't we move on to how people can support us and help us finish it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah, that's pretty important. Sounds sounds good. Yeah, it's very important. Let's talk about Patreon. So that is what we're using right now to crowdfund the game. And just to be clear, this is this is not like an extra we're throwing out there. This is it. We need hundreds of thousands of dollars to make this game. We can't do it any other way. We've already put in that much of our own money. And in order to get to the end, because things are just so expensive, we've got to get help from all of you, from the crowd. So you are truly helping make this happen if you join us on Patreon. You know, that's a cliche you hear, you know, help make a thing happen, but you will actually help it happen. We cannot do this without your support. So what I want to talk about is why not a Kickstarter? You know, this, this is a different kind of thing. And I wanted to give two perspectives. So one is from the patron's point of view, from your point of view out there in the audience. Why do you want to do this? And then another one is from our point of view as developers. Why would we choose to try to crowdfund in this manner rather than another manner? Because it's, it's a bit different. So I want to explain it and make it clear to everyone. So let's start with why patrons would want to support us. Yeah, with like crowdfunding, you want to support a thing that you believe in. Like if you're a fan of fighting games, if you're a fan of indie game development, you know, this is a fantastic way to be a part of something um, and a part of development of a game that you want to see exist. You know, so making it happen at all, it, it relies upon you directly. We can't stress that more. Yeah, we'll say yeah. that many, many more times over the course of this podcast. Mm-hmm. It really is true. Yeah. So that's the same, whether it's Kickstarter or uh, Patreon, or th- there's just always this underlying goodwill going on of trying to make a thing happen, just trying to contribute to it and you know, bring cool, fun things into the world. That's one reason why anyone would want to support anything. (laughs) 
right? So right. There, there's more though. So what's next? <laughs> oh, I'll give you a really high up reason. If you support us on Patreon, you immediately get a build of the game. You could play it right away. And that is unusual for a crowdfunding thing. The more usual thing would be like on Kickstarter, you put in some money and then maybe two years later you get a game or you don't perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, <laughs> or you don't. You don't. Yeah, it's important to know. But in our case, you can immediately get our latest build of the game. And it doesn't stop there. It's not just the once. You get the updates. And we try to do them every month. We've shot for every month and we've been ahead of schedule almost every time. We give you a new build with all of our advancements each month. So you get to see the progress and be on the ride Kind of being on the ride or the journey, uh, that's like another reason that it's fun to do this. It's because you get to see exactly, you know, how it's advancing. You get to talk to us on Patreon and, and on forums, you know, give your feedback. Yeah, you can kind of be a part of the process and see how development of a game works on the ground level. Like we'll be, you know, launching developer diaries and such of like, hey, so we're working on this new animation for this character or here's some new stage art. You can kind of see how the process works and how a character goes from being something that resembles like a piece of clay like Gumby <laughs> and then becomes a, uh, a fully fledged awesome character in a fighting game it's like you get to see sort of the development aspect of, of how it works and then every month when we make those actual real updates to the game you'll be the first ones to see them in in game and be able to to play with them immediately. Yeah, we just recently posted Geiger's Yomi counter. We weren't finished with it yet, but it's a fun, cool animation. And so we showed that with our patrons. Also been working on Midori's stage. So we showed some concept art of that. Yeah. That's like, I yeah. have not seen that Yomi counter. I need to go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cool. His throw animation is great too now. You got it. You got, yeah, right. it's good. I'm, I'm a big fan. So part of it is seeing the yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you can give feedback on that stuff. You yeah, know? but part of it is, is feedback also. Yeah, we're all, we're always, you know, asking for things. And I mean, a lot of the times our patrons have told us things that we weren't thinking about. So one example is that someone recently complained that they thought the hits didn't feel solid enough. And I thought, oh, you know, we're not working on that. Like the hits feel fine. And then I went and looked at it, you know, numerically, like how long is the hit stop? Uh, hit stop is different than hits done. That's how long the entire game freezes whenever hit happens. If you don't have it, it feels like you're punching through butter or something. This Everything feels weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mortal Kombat works that way. Mm-hmm. It has like no hit stop, I think. <laughs> anyway, I thought, well, you know, someone's complained about this. I thought it was fine, but I should look into it. And I looked into it and I discovered that they were right. And the hit stop is just like slightly too short on almost everything. And so on our next build, we are going to increase that. And I've been testing it for the last couple of weeks. You know, there's all sorts of things our patrons have pointed out that have been very helpful. Yeah, and it's just a fun process that we're all in it together. Uh, Another thing about the communication here is that the communication we just talked about was like between us and patrons, but there's also communication amongst patrons. So kind of joining in is like becoming part of this club. It's it's a community. And we have a Discord chat server where you will automatically get a special color for your name if you are a Patreon supporter. And you can talk with other patrons about the game as well as us. Yeah, that's another uh, another selling point mm-hmm. to this whole process. Yeah, I think uh, community is really important. When you're part of this community, you know, it'll be easier to find people to play with and everything like that. I think it's important to note the game doesn't have an online aspect yet, but it will eventually. Yes, obviously that's super important. And we will use GGPO, the best online uh, networking technology. It's all planned out. It's all coming. But people should be aware that right now we do not have online play. 
So we have local versus yeah, mode, just local ar- arcade play. mode, uh, you know, against the CPU training mm-hmm. mode. Online play is coming. Other modes are coming. Right. So anyways, knowing all that, it's still great to be part of this community so that you'll have people to play with. You can help us build the community to be even bigger. You can set up even local plays if you want to with people in the community. So I think Patreon is just a great way to help build that. And you guys can help do that. Yeah, like fighting games are absolutely nothing without their community. It's just what they are. It's the FGC, man. It's like just what it is. Like you need to have a common like layer of communication so you can find other people to play with and meet up and do that. So hopefully when we get netcode, it's going to be a lot better. But for now, yeah. Yes, please support us now. We really need it. (laughs) So there could be netcode. Right. Um, (laughs) at all. Another great thing from the patrons point of view is that they can fire us. And that's kind of weird and not how crowdfunding usually works. Like if you kick in $50 or something on Kickstarter and then you decide you don't like it. I mean, what do you do? Like on a video game project, it's usually like a couple of years until you see the game anyway. And you know, you can't really get your money back. But the process Mm -hmm. we're talking about here is completely different. You can become a patron with us for as little as $5 and you can see that build right away. And if you don't want to continue next month for another $5, you could just cancel or maybe, you know, wait two months or something and then cancel if you don't like it. So we think that this is actually a positive. Getting fired is bad and we don't want that. (laughs) Right. as a whole, this is... I don't want to be fired. It's good because it means we have to show progress. Like it's keeping us honest. And we have ever since we started doing this, we've shown progress every single month and we've never had any problem with that. So really the opposite ends up happening rather than people wanting to fire us. They feel empowered that they can, but we build trust and we show that instead of firing us, they should get their friends to join. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's a lot of pressure to Mm -hmm. succeed Mm -hmm. because of the patrons. Exactly. That's the best way to put it. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have to have some pressure to keep delivering. And we do have that. I think the the last thing on this, this list of things patrons should think about of why they want to support us is just that our patrons are really our core and they're our most important customers, our most important fans. And so we're always going to make sure that our patrons have the first of whatever it is we make and the best of whatever it is we make. And that our patrons, our goal is to strive to never have them regret supporting us. So months later Mm -hmm. or whenever the game comes out, we want them to feel fantastic. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure that they get what they deserve from all of our support. Absolutely. Yeah, expected. I guess we should move on to from our point of view. It's like, why do this at all? You know, why not use Kickstarter or some different different technique? And if I could boil it down to just one word, I think it's efficiency would be that that word. This is a very efficient mm-hmm, way. Yeah. to. It's not a common way. You know, the other games are not really using Patreon. And in fact, we have to be more successful than any other video game on Patreon in order to actually pay our substantial burn rate. We're going to have to be, you know, very successful. But that that sounds like this is an amazing, you know, impossible thing. But it's achievable because other developers aren't really trying this. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's not something pe- people are generally pursuing. But I think it's, it's smart and it makes sense. So efficient, what do I mean by that? Why is it efficient? It, it's that we could spend all of our time developing, you know? We just sort of do the normal thing we would want to do. And that is that every month what we work on is whatever the most important and effective thing we can work on is. For example, like if we get some character models that are like a higher polygon, a higher fidelity, we have, you know, models working on that. If, if we get a few of those in a month, that's what we work on putting in the game and refining. And if we get a lot of time for our visual effects 
people like you know, more than normal, then we, we will focus on that. But it's just whatever we can do, the, the most good is, is the thing that we work on. So it's everything is very efficient and also being paid monthly. We have to pay our staff quite a lot monthly. And it's just this one to one thing like the money can come in on Patreon and it can go out to our staff and it's, it's stable. It helps us plan again. It helps us be efficient because we know how much budget we have. Every month we can like start to count on it once we've built trust. So we like that. And if I could explain that efficiency in two more words and two more like bullet points that would go below it, I'd say the the two important words are rigidity and scope that, that explain why we're doing what we want to do. So if we didn't do this, if we, let's say, went to Kickstarter or even investors, there's a lot of different ways to do this. But the, the more traditional way is to spec out all of the things we want to do way ahead of time. And that means like we would have stretch goals where we'd say we're going to add this mode of the game and that mode of the game. And we'd be promising all these things now that we're not even going to get to starting many months from now. That's rigid. That's committing to something that is not really even in the player's best interest. And the way that I can put that in intuitive words where everyone can just immediately see what I'm saying is uh, I like to use the example from Overwatch. This is a great shooter from Blizzard. Imagine if Overwatch made a new game mode, like right now they started making a new game mode and how fun that would probably be, whatever it is. Then compare it to, let's say, I don't know, 14 months ago or two years ago or something. They did a Kickstarter and they promised the, the new game mode that they would eventually, you know, two years later make. Which mode would be more fun? Well, the one that they just make now is more fun because they know what they're doing. Like they have the benefit of the last two years of development and they just, they know like how to get to they the fun of the their game. game. At yeah, this point yeah they exactly, before. exactly. They know what's best for the game at this point. And so now is when you want them to make that decision, not two years ago. All the, the kind of stretch goals and, you know, all these pre-commitments, they're just creating dangers of committing to going down roads that may not make sense. What's more efficient, what's a better way to get to a high quality product is at every step of the way, do the best. Like a certain month, let's say we're very far along, maybe a certain month, the thing that our players think is the most important is more training mode options, just for example. And we could spend a month on that, but we wouldn't be able to know so long ahead of time that that was going to be a big issue. Another thing that we're working on is this uh, arena mode where you could actually pick some power-ups and go into the game and have different power-ups each time. Now that's going to be a big experiment. I think it's going to be really fun. It's, by the way, it's completely fair, even play field type thing. But anyway, that's something that if we committed to that way ahead of time, it might turn out not fun. And, you know, then what do we do? Well, we, we promised everyone we're going to do it or whatever. But this, this is something where it's going to be organic and we're going to grow it as we go. So if it turns out really fun, we're going to go harder in that direction, you know, or if it doesn't turn out good, then we, we won't do it. But our patrons every step of the way are part of that. And they're helping us determine what is the most important thing every month because we, we listen to them. We see what they care about, and what they like. Uh, obviously, we know that online play I mean, there's nothing more important than that. So that's the top priority. But beyond that, we're developing it as we go. And that's being agile. It's the opposite of being rigid, which we don't want to be. So the second bullet point about efficiency is scope. 
It's really similar. It's the same kind of thing. But I guess if you could give the ultimate example there, it would be something like Star Citizen mm-hmm. or anything Peter Molyneux makes <laughs> or, or says he's going to yeah. make. Yeah. Like w- when you're asking for money, when you're f- when you're fundraising, which is what we are doing right now, we're asking a, the crowd to support us. There's this almost irresistible urge to say, and we're going to give you so much stuff. We're going to give you like, yeah, it's a fighting game, oh, yeah. but it's also 200 characters. Yeah, it's going to have 200 characters. Also, you, you can your characters can get in a spaceship and they can go to another planet and they right. can like play a shooter against other like we just we want to promise you all these things because we just we want to get you, you know, we want to reel you in and like if I could just make it more and more juicy. So that force is what increases the scope of so many games and it's crippling. It's a way to lower quality, like the higher and higher the scope, the lower and lower the quality is and the bigger the chance it's all going to just blow up and not work. And again, we are the opposite of that. If we make a new game mode, we want to do it because we have a really solid base and we're ready. At that point, we're ready to move on to add a new mode. We want to be really careful about our scope and we want to be really agile, like I said. So this whole Patreon thing allows us to be efficient, agile, have a reasonable scope and stick to it. And it's going to be the ultimately, I think, the best product for the customer if we can get enough support, if we can become the biggest, most funded video game on Patreon. So that is our goal right now. Yeah. Please, please help us. Absolutely. Don't think of it as just like giving money to a game. It's really a journey. This journey of making this really great 2D fighting game with indie developers. I think it's in a way it's pretty revolutionary. 3D graphics. Yep, 3D graphics. <laughs> 2D gameplay, 3D graphics. Right, right. Yeah. 2D, 2D gameplay, 3D <laughs> yeah. graphics. Right. But, two, um, two and a half D, right? So why, why is it revolutionary? You're saying the, the fundraising method is or the, the, the fun, game itself? The or? fundraising what method, yes. Well, both in a way. I mean, both, yeah. right? It, but... I'm specifically talking about the fundraising method. It's kind of, it's really, it's new, but okay. it's different. I think it's really exciting for players and people who would be interested in games and game development and, and stuff like this. You know, it's it'll be great to see it happen. Yeah. Please join us in this journey, as we keep calling it, you know, invest in us and get something great out of it. You know, one thing we want to also make sure that you guys understand is that the game can only really be as good as the funding we receive, like the support that we get to make the game good. Like we want to have 200 characters in the game, right? We want to be able to get into spaceships and fly to other <laughs> no, we, planets. We, don't we can't have, do that. We don't want to have 200 characters. Without you guys. <laughs> not really. Not really. We want to have more characters, but not 200. <laughs> You know, but it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, but you guys, you, guys, you see what I'm saying though. Yeah. What kind of plays into that is that earlier in this podcast about how at first we focused entirely on the gameplay and the game looked really bad. And then we shifted to caring a lot more about the polish, right? And how far we can go with that polish and with making it just look fantastic. That's going to get us a wider audience. That's a huge factor, right? And so you were saying, Absolutely. yeah, you yeah. were saying like, you know, how far we can go, it depends on our funding. And it, what's great is that it, there's this kind of snowball thing where like if we can get a lot of support, it allows for even better production values. And that will eventually reap the rewards of all of us having more opponents, you know, like shorter queue times and just yeah. a, a bigger, a bigger phenomenon and more people to play. And, and like you said, it's all kind of based on how much funding we can get. All of our Patreon money goes to our staff, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, everything. <laughs> One last thing, the podcast will keep on happening. So <laughs> you're not going to lose that. We're going to keep talking to you people. We actually have two podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have the uh, free one that everyone gets. That's the one that we are doing right now. 
Serlin on game design. And then there is a second podcast called Raw Game Design that we do for our Silver and Up patrons. And that's behind the scenes about uh, us designing things. It's sometimes about Fantasy Strike, but it's other times about other games. Uh, sometimes just a, it's practice of how to work on game design. Sometimes it's tabletop. Sometimes it's it's uh, the Fantasy Strike fighting game. So it's, it's just behind the scenes of a lot of the design process. Yeah. We're going to keep doing both of those podcasts. Yeah. So so if you're already a patron, don't worry. Those aren't going anywhere. <laughs> well, I think we have... Wait, I think we do have like one more thing to say, right? Oh, what's, what, what's the one more thing? About oh. uh, upcoming events? Yes, please join us at the Sony PlayStation Experience Convention, which is December 3rd and 4th in Anaheim, California. And we will be exhibiting Fantasy Strike there. It will be the first time we're really showing it in a public way. So that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. All three of us are going to be there. So it's going to be a really great event. Come say hi. One thing I forgot to mention on this podcast is that sometimes I like to play the game with a Guitar Hero controller. (laughs) So if you think you can beat me when I'm playing with a guitar... Because that's how easy this game is to play, guys. Cannot stress it enough. Come challenge me. I, 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 my body is ready. I'm ready for you. Come come beat me. I'll use my guitar awesome. and we'll see if you can take me down. He really does use a guitar. Yeah, you can play it on basically anything. It doesn't matter if you play it on keyboard or joystick or guitar. It's all, you know, those controls are simple enough that yeah. it, it's all good. it works. It's all tournament legal. So that's pretty yeah. much it. And please come support us at patreon.com slash Serlin. And we will see you there. So thank you very much. And that's Fantasy Strike. All All right. right. Take care, guys. Later. All right. Goodbye.